Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have a legend of a guest. It is James Patterson, better known as Jay Pato. He is the head fitness instructor and coach over at Tiger Muay Thai. Now, before we jump into that, let us tell you a bit about who we are. Fruiting Body Podcast is a medicinal mushroom company located in the island of Phuket. We are called Fruiting Body Mushrooms. Uh, you can check out our products, Lion's Mane, Rice Shee, Cordyceps, all that fun stuff. All organic, all natural, all made in Thailand. Links in the description. We're selling off our website but it goes to lazada uh, if you're tired of listening to me ramble we got timestamps so you can see different chapters of this podcast and find the content that you're looking for uh, do not forget like and subscribe we're waiting for it uh, especially when you're subscribing it's helping us to build in the algorithm we're well over 3,000 subs now working our way to 5,000 so help us to get there now we're going to do something a little bit different today because uh, you're probably tired of listening to me this is shot after the podcast. So I'm going to kick it over to Jay, and Jay is going to let you know everything that we spoke about and what you can expect to learn and hear from us today. All right, take it away, Jay. In this story, we tackle everything from my crazy childhood um, all the way to being broke, imprisoned abroad, uh, to finding success here in Thailand. Yeah, so again, it, that's what we're doing on this podcast. We're telling that life story, that journey of... Um, where do people come from? How did they get to Phuket, Thailand? What are they doing here? And one more thing, you're going to learn about the number 14. So get ready. Let's get this started. Okay. Thanks for joining us, Jay. Thanks a lot. I know it's a bit of a trek down from Rawai. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah. yeah, just adjust your, I'll adjust you as you go. He can, we'll watch your mic. Uh, we always explain to the guests, like, because later if we're doing like reels and the mic's up here, it's going to look funny, but just adjust as you go. And if I can't hear you, I'll move it around a bit. Um, let's just jump right into this. We want to tell the life story of, you know, what did you do before Phuket? What brought you to Phuket and what are you doing here? So take it away. Let's start in your childhood. Where are you from and how did you actually get here? Yeah, so again, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, my name's Jay Pato. Um, I grew up in Liverpool, England. I'm currently 28 years old, so still young coming to this point uh, in Tiger Muay Thai. But before my time in Thailand, uh, I grew up in Liverpool, uh, in a place called Walton, Walton and Bootle. Um, yeah, went to school there, played football, played soccer my entire life. Um, up until I was about 14, I ended up switching around. Pretty much of a troubled childhood, I'd say, um, in and out of different schools, constantly in trouble around the area I was in, um, but was always a sportsman, was always doing sports, even when I was getting moved from one school to another or suspended from school or something like this, they always said, like, he's good at sports, he can captain this, he can do this, um, but the story of my, my life, my childhood was, yeah, constantly in little bits of trouble, um, never significant amount of trouble where... You know, I had the police at the door all the time, but the little things that mounted up in the end, I think the compound effect works in many different ways, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, around 13, 14, I stopped playing football to, to, to the level I was playing at and started to venture into other things. So, throughout my childhood, I tried some boxing, had a few boxing, Western boxing fights. Um, I'd BMX for a while. I loved extreme sports. Um, managed to make some progress BMXing. Um, I think that my... My brain's wired. Whenever I'm trying to do something, I've got to do it to an extreme in, in every single way. Um, and that really is the story, as we probably get into this, that's the story of my life. Everything I do, I tend to um, overdo and um, do it to an extreme and, and become necessarily obsessed, mm. which in some ways is is very, very good. But in other ways, you know, it, it can come to haunt you, yeah. especially BMXing. You know, I, I, 
I went from not doing it so much to learning relatively hard tricks over big jumps and then falling and smashing my face in, breaking my arm, breaking my ankle. Was it competitive? Um, it got competitive, yeah. Um, I wasn't as good as a few of the lads around me, but I wanted to be as good as them. Um, so I worked hard, I worked hard, I worked hard. Between like 14 and 16, you know, I started doing amateur shows in England, but then um, I cycled out of it. I tried to get back into football. Um, as I said, I had a few back Western, Western boxing bouts then went back and tried to get back into football. Um, so around 16, I tried to play football again. But what happened with me, I was, I was a very short uh, lad leaving school. Um, I remember one of the reasons why I stopped a bit younger. Local lads in the area were growing. And I was just looking up and I was like, what's happening? <laughs> why am I not growing? I was tiny. Um, so I stopped playing at younger, switched to other things. Tried to come back when I was 16. And it's sort of this little thing now paves the, the, the way for the rest of my, my life up to this point is that I remember I was getting shoved off the ball, but I was quicker and like playing football, soccer. I was quicker than most. I, I could get round people, but you know, strength is, is a big aspect of it. So I remember saying to myself like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to come back in, in a few years time and I'm going to show you. And the long version of that is I never really went back until I come to Thailand 10 years later. Um, and I'll explain that probably as I get on. But then, yeah, so my life's really, really begin to change around 18. Um, I was doing my apprentice mechanic. I'm a fully qualified mechanic, level four. Um, and I started getting involved into the party lifestyle, to what I'll say. Um, 18 years old, 17 at first, I used to wake, use someone's fake ID, look like me, to go into the clubs. Um, 18, I started. And as I mentioned, I was doing an apprentice mechanic. So I was picking up. £2.77 an hour, so maybe like $4 an hour. Um, and I was I was I'm practically minded, so I could fix things quickly. The boss had me working as a full-time employee, but paying me pennies and, and treat me like shit, just to be completely honest. Um, so, oh, it's just where it gets really interesting, to be fair. So what I realized is, you know, we used to pick up, I used to pick up £95 a week, um, and that £95, I had to pay a little tiny bit of rent, small little things at the time. And I wanted to go out and drink with the lads. I wanted to go out and do things. And it just, it wasn't feasible enough. So, I mean, typical, you could say like student life at that, um, life at that point. Wow, I was like, I was driving the, oh no, I wasn't driving there just yet. I was cycling to places the cheapest way possible, getting the bus, going to like raves, but no, no money at all, you know, like having to um, scound around money to get just enough to go there and then obviously pay for the party, pay for the event. So I'm going to go back a little bit to go forward. When I was around 13, 14, this is going to sound crazy, but you, you'll understand why I put these together, is that around 13, year eight, year nine for me in school, we had like a health week in school and Jamie Oliver... People know Jamie Oliver, the famous chef. He put a health week in school, which turned into a health forever in school. And we weren't allowed to eat chocolate anymore. And 13-year-old me was pretty pissed. Wanted to eat some chocolate. I was like, why not? So I made it my mission to go to uh, the local supermarket. And I would buy loads of cans of chocolate, loads of cans of, of Coke, and loads of bars of chocolate. And I would go back to school, and, and I'd sell that through, through school. And... Why that story relates is the same sort of thing happened and later on in, in a different world, I'll say. Um, the world that I was going into, I had an idea of what I was going into, but not 
not to the, the scale of it. So what happened then was like, okay, I'd go to a festival, I'd go to a party or whatever, and I'd realize that a lot of my friends were taking stuff, doing stuff. And I was like, ah, okay, how about, we know what's coming. Mm. How about I stock up on what they're taking? That way I can sell back to my friends. That means I can stay out with them longer. And, you know, I can have my party. And the, the world in my head had balanced out in some strange way. So what I just said there, you know, the compound effect, it really, really come, come true. And I think that was like late 18 into 19. 19 to 20, I traveled around the planet. Um, I went to the best festivals, raves you can imagine. Um, I built my way up at the same time as like volunteering as, as a mechanic. So my mum knows this, we've been through this whole thing, so I don't mind saying this. It's like well, I was volunteering as a mechanic to cover and I was basically saying I was on a full wage and I was just living this bizarre, crazy life at uh, 19 to 20 and you put it where I'm from, from Liverpool. So I'm from around this time, 1920, Liverpool. My postcode in Liverpool had the um, highest benefit rates in Great Britain. Uh, we had the lowest life expectancy. Um, and what was the other one? I can't recall the other one, but it was... The uh, chi uh, child, uh, childbirth. Or ex exactly, exactly. All or, of this. Or young pregnancy. Exactly, or, yeah. young pregnancy. Like, I remember at the time, I made my, my friend... He had two or three kids. We were 19. Yeah, this is like common. You know, I, I remember looking at the, the what was happening around me. It's like, I wanted better for myself and I thought this was better for myself because I was able at that very young age to generate a lot of money at that time. I was living a, a weird life. I was traveling from A to B. I mean, from 18 to 21, I must have went to Amsterdam 40 times. Mm. Like, I make money on the weekend and then I'd just fly myself or myself and my girlfriend at the time over to Amsterdam. We'd enjoy, I'd come back, I'd stock up and it was just like this lifestyle. Were, were you kind of traveling and partying or when you're traveling, you're working as well? Traveling and working as well, exactly. So, you know, I, I was able to network and get contacts in certain areas so I'd be able to land, collect what I was collecting, send them on the way but then my business got to the point where I had a lad working for me in Liverpool who was a bit younger than me and in retrospect, I didn't realize that what was happening. I was climbing a ladder, which I didn't really see. I mean, it's a it's it's, it's a weird ladder to climb. You know, re respectively, I was doing very well at the bottom of the food chain, uh, which comes in Liverpool, which comes with with a price. So, you know, what happened to me then over the next couple of couple of years as I grown a party, I lived this life where I was traveling around the world. You're a product of your, of your environment, and I think all the lads back then and and, and everyone else you're in this place where everyone's poor, so you're trying to prove yourself. I'm trying to prove that almost that I can make it out or, or these type of things. And, you know, it was very, very difficult. I put my mum through a lot of hell. Um, and it's part of the reason why I am who I am today because of that. So you fast forward from 19 to 20, 21. I'd lived in Ibiza for like stints of time. I'd, I'd, I'd been to Vegas. I'd, I'd quite literally seen some of the DJs like 15, 20 times. Um, moved forward with my life until I reached what was my pinnacle um, in that world. So I'd been on like a six-week holiday. I'd been to all these crazy parties in Croatia and, and Spain and stuff, and I, I went to, to Belgium, to Tomorrowland. Um, and I'd been there for years prior to it. And again, I know what I was doing. I was doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing in a country that I shouldn't have been in doing that, period, nonstop. Like, 
it is what it is. And this, what I'm about to explain now changes the, the complete course, direction, trajectory of my, my life. And I could talk about it quite easily now, but it's quite literally the worst, best thing that's ever happened. So we were in, I, I can always put this out crystal clear. So we were in the Tomorrowland Festival on the Friday. We'd been there for one hour. I had more drugs than this was necessary on me and around my person. Um, and we were in watching it, watching a, a specific DJ at a time. And I said to all the lads around me, don't take in any of this police here. Don't take in any of Don't take in any of And they were like, well, why? And I said to him, look, this is the area where the police are located behind. Don't take in here. So what happened then was an Australian guy, he came up to me and he said, can I have a chance I can buy something? So I'm like, okay, yeah. So he told me and I told him his price and my price was ridiculous, but he was like, yeah, okay. So the greedy version of me back then was just like, yeah, okay. Even though I knew it was the wrong thing to do, on every single level, I still went forward and done it. And what happens, obviously, you go to a festival. We, we walked into the middle of the f- a festival where everyone's just up and bouncing and I'm doing my thing. I give this, this, this lad what he needs and I look over and it's still a moment in my life I can never forget. The whole, like the smoke's coming out. This festival's banging, the beat come on. The DJ had just started. And I just look over and I see a guy and he's just still. And he's just looking towards me. He had a club bruise top on and he had the satchel like over him. And my instinct was like, that's not right. Why why, why is he so still and looking in this direction? So I do what I'm doing. I keep my eyes up. But at that point, I thought I was bigger than what I was. I thought I was um, invincible. And I really did think I was invincible because of the, the 20 months prior, 24 months prior. I come out and I'm dancing towards my friends. And I'm like, Uberjack that just started this Australian DJ. I just made like 800 euro in a transaction. It's 21 years of age, only by a few months. And what happens? I have my hand up, and all I feel is this person grab my arm as tight as possible. And sheer gut instinct, this was the stupidest thing I've probably ever done. I dropped all my weight into the right foot, and I come over the top, right on this fella's bottom. So I don't knock him out. He like sits back in the chair almost, stumbles back. From there, police just come from everywhere, start, start taking me, start grabbing me. So I'd had some ecstasy about 40 minutes before. This was just peaking. And like I could feel my body, everything was just... So I start to run, I hit someone else, I run, and I'm literally running down the festival, throwing drugs everywhere, just as much drugs as I could throw as far away from me as possible. They get me in the corner, they mess me up bad. Like, broken rib, black eye, fish hugged me, kicked me, stamped on me. Um, for the numerous reasons, what happened was when they jumped on me, my friends sort of was like, what's happening? They were all undercover. We don't know. So, scousers, people from Liverpool, we tend to travel in packs. We don't really travel in, in ones and twos. Um, so, they all jumped on, which gave me a bit of time to, time to run, which then made the police more pissed at me because of obvious reasons. So... Yeah, look from there. I'm taken. Um, they managed to like get all the get all the stuff. I'm gonna skim over a few things. I go go back. So that was on the Friday. Um, I wasn't allowed a phone call and until Monday because of the quantity of drugs I was found with. The festival was still ongoing. Um, 
other people who were arrested, they were found with my drugs. So they were they were saying, big fish, big fish. Like, we get big fish. And, man, I, I look young now, 28. I still feel like I look young. I like to think that anyway. Then I looked young. I was a baby. I was a baby. And, and I think they knew that as well. And it, it was, it was a, a tough 72 hours. So I was held. I was taken to Brussels uh, prison cells um, on the Monday. And what happened on the Monday was... Um, my sentence, my, I got given, uh, I'd be held for 90 days and then I'd be looked to given a two-year sentence. So this was all in, in Dutch. Um, I was stood there with a guy who didn't really represent me at all or didn't translate what was happening so I couldn't really represent myself. So at one point, I was held for 90 days and then would have been sentenced for two years at the 90-day 90 90 part. What I was really lucky for is I think I was allowed to, 72 hours or something to appeal this and I, I took the, the piece of paper to a guy I'd met on the yard and like I'm 21 I'm in a country I don't know I'm fucking scared man like I'd just been sentenced for, for, for two years um, and at that point for there was a, a few days and which I'll explain in a sec as well it's like I'd made me bed so it was time to sleep in it it's like you you know what you've done like it is what it is so Honestly, I, I, I appealed the, the, the sentence. Um, we went back to court. So this was about now nine, ten days after, so that following Monday. And on that one, I was given opportunity for bail. It was 10,000 euro, like 8,000 pounds at the time. Look, I didn't have that money. I'd been partying like a lunatic for two years. I've got amazing memories. I've got a life that I couldn't even, even imagine for. But I had no money, and I only had one phone number I knew, and that was my mum. So I'd spoke to my mum a couple of times. I was given five euro to make a phone call, um, and that was the only money I got. Um, so about 12 days, 13 days after I'd, I'd been originally took, I'd spoke to my mum maybe once or twice. They gave me that that um, almost an ultimatum, I'd like to say. I had to get 10,000 euro to a Western account within 10 days, and if I'd done that, then I'd be allowed to go um, and then come back in 90 days for sentencing of course so I went back to my mum and my mum told me that at the time she was just waiting at the phone for something for, for me to phone and then she'd pick it up she was obviously a nervous wreck I'm a baby so I rang my mum and said 25 seconds I was like hey mum I hope you're okay um, I just want you to know you've got to get have you got a pen and paper you've got to get um 10,000 euro to a Western town within 10 days. And if I can do that, I'll be out. If not, I'll see you when I see you. Goodbye. And I just put the phone down. And it's like, I remember putting that phone down. Even now, I get a bit of a shake as I'm saying it. It's like, I walk back to my cell. I'm sleeping on the floor. I had the same, I say, in Scouts, we say bills. I had the same boxes on for at the entire time for three weeks. I, I just stunk, man. I just... I was at an all-time low. I was locked up for 23 hours a day. Anyone knows me, I'm a very active person. No problem saying I've got like ADHD. Locking me up for 23 hours a day was, was I just, I couldn't do it. And, and it traumatized me, man. It was really, really bad because you got the language barrier. We were allowed, we had, I couldn't afford anything in there. So I just had the meals I was given and we had one channel, and I played a movie for 24 hours, and then the next day I played another movie for 24 hours, and another movie for 24 hours, and yeah, just the monotonous of it, it being uh, sedentary for so long, I just couldn't, I, could, I couldn't do it, and 
and no problem in saying that at all. It's like, you know, you when you go to when you're in that position, you either embrace it or you reject it. And I rejected it instantly. Instantly, I was just like, I value the freedom and the time so much. Um, so about nine days later, time had passed. Um, I started to come in sync with the jails, playing soccer on the yard, da da da. Um, I was playing football on the yard. I've got to say that otherwise my mates would go crazy. <laughs> I was playing football on the yard. Um, and look, 10 days in, I just got this massive bang on the door. Patterson, get your stuff, you're leaving in 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, okay. So I'll pack up everything, I go outside, and what happens? Go outside, and they just let me out on the street. And I just, I barely knew where I was. I had to find my way to the local train station. I had to beg for somebody to basically help me use the phone, and then my sister sent money to them. I got on a, on a train to Amsterdam and got out of there. So as that like passes, there's a there's a, a couple of stories inside of that. So I owed a lot of money out to people, um, and people came for me. They done what they had to do, and I done what I had to do for them in order to to pay off my debts and, and and you know sort of right my wrong in in that world. You fast forward sixty five days or something like that. First of all, I go home. Everyone knows everything about me. Newspaper, all of it. Just, just you know, your reputation and family names tarnished. Like, uh, I'm from a good family, man. Like, I've got, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the odd one. You know, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the milkman, as some people like to say. Well, I think um, if we're in Thailand this amount of time, I think we all are. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, I see this place as a place where nobody actually belongs back home, and we sort of see it here, and yeah. Um, what happened then was 90 days later, I mean, I look, I assaulted the police officer on abroad. I was caught with a quantity of so many different substances. Even some of it was not legitimate, and I knew that was purpose. So they found everything, scales, the lot. It was bang to rights, you know. So I traveled over there. I, I, I said goodbye to everyone, man. Uh, hugged me more. I was tremoring, and hugging me more. I was saying, I'll see it two years. I'll see it, see it when the time's spent. And, I got on a one-way flight, um, I flew over, I flew over to Amsterdam first, I smoked a bit of weed, I wanted to say goodbye, so I smoked a joint and went to Belgium and went to Belgium to, to be sentenced for what I thought was going to be the remainder of the time and yeah, I went into that court, still got the, the picture in me, the image now and I thought I'm going to walk in that door and I'm going to be in now for at least like 20 months was in my head, like the, the, the time spent or at least a year if I was going to do half the time in, 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 their, in their world. And long story short, that they gave me an opportunity because I'd shown remorse. I'd traveled over. I'd come back where, you know, I'd started to live life again. I was volunteering in a garage, a different garage, and they wrote a nice letter for me. And yeah, I was very, very fortunate that day to be given a, suspend, a suspended sentence for the remainder of the time. And... The judge literally said, basically, get out of Belgium and don't come back. If you're caught here so much as like, I want to use this, but like jaywalking, it's like, you will do that time. So I got I got out of there as quick as possible, of course. And zero time. Yeah, so I zero time. At the 21 days spent, oh, they took their bail money. So they took 8,000 euro, uh, 10,000 um, 10, euro, 8,000 pounds. So exactly. And they took that. That was now part of the bill that I had to pay back to, to my family. I was very, very, very lucky that they were about. Um, and from there, I just started to build forward. So that was 2015. Um, 2016, 
I literally sent a message to everybody. I woke up and I walked away from everything. Um, I partied a little bit before, but then I walked away. January 2016, I was like, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do everything possible now to change my life and, and more so to change my mum's life and give her options moving forward because for, tw- say, since I could walk, so say for 20 years, I've put her through hell. And, you know, I've put her through hell when, you know, we're already from a broken family. She was already working hard enough. So it was like from there I had to make my my mission external to me. So it's not it's not no longer my, like me, my ego, I'm doing this for me, which, you know, a lot of things it, it, it is, but making it external made me work harder towards. So I put myself as an Uber taxi driver. I was one of the first Uber taxi drivers in Liverpool. I, I was aware of, of where it was at. I got a good, good percentage and I started to focus on fitness and work forward. So that was 2016. And I was doing 40, 50 hours a week in a taxi and studying around that time. I competed six months later. I come in, in men's physique bodybuilding in London. And I came second out of 38. And I was like, oh, shit, I could do fucking well here. It's like, oh, I was genuinely like surprised. Even still now, I'm still surprised. Okay, so before we get into that, I kind of want to backtrack more just what's going through your mind on those nights. You're saying you're 23 three hours. You're not, you know, you're able to go outside. You're kind of building up, building up this energy. And understanding your mind, like, are you building a plan during this time of when I get out of here, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to change. And did you have kind of like steps and goals? Yeah. So at first, no, until I got the chance of like, it could be some bail. So at first I was like, I'm doing this for two years and I need to adapt to this, please. There was a point when I was in a little small holding cell, which is probably the size of your couch. You couldn't sit down on there. It was time you got your little chair and, there was a point, and I remember I was waiting to be to, to go in to see the judge, and I was like, if I get through this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this amount of money legitimate through a way, and I didn't know what that way was. And within the next five to ten years, I will be living that same life again, what I thought at that time. Um, I'll be living that same life again, but without any overheads, I'd like to say, without anyone coming after me. So there was so much uncertainty. Um, and then even with the bail and in the back of my mind, I got the the guy I've left this out. So the guy I punched was the chief drug inspector of Tomorrowland. Uh, it's it's a point that I've left out. Yeah, yeah. He turned up to court and he yeah, he he basically said I attacked him. And on the first time, I couldn't defend myself. Um, but either way, I couldn't defend myself. I was banged to right. <laughs> it was. Well, yeah. Was. Then you're pretty lucky to you know be allowed to leave as well because they easily could crack down on that and then you're stuck there for 20 months um i'm gonna jump we're gonna jump into the fitness side and how that all connects as well but before that uh just a quick shout out to five star marine and sean standing five star marine they're a sponsor on this podcast so they're just helping us with the production and allowing us to make this content on a week-to-week basis to give it back to you guys telling you these stories about people living not just in phuket but in thailand uh, if you want to go check them out, it's on Instagram at Five Star Marine Phuket. And we'll also leave links in the description. A little bit about who they are. They are a VIP private char- uh, speedboat chartered tour on the island of Phuket. So they're taking you to places like Kolip Bay, Krabi, Pangna Bay. Uh, you have complete control over your own trip, which most of other services are not authoring that. Uh, sorry, offering that. 
So Hans will probably throw up a QR code. You can scan that as well. Or links are in the, in the descriptions. Go check them out. Let them know if we sent you there. It just helps us grow this podcast. So let's get back to the podcast now. Um, yeah, sorry. Gra- grab a drink. Oh, I lost my headphones there. Now, where we kind of jumped ahead and fast-tracked, you said you went into like bodybuilding and competition. Before you even initially got into that, how did you decide, okay, I'm going to pursue this? Yeah, so... It's a good, great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, honestly, I was a fully qualified mechanic, um, but I was going to the gym before and after it, and there was a few little things, little telltales. So I'd go on holidays, like one of the younger lads, because I had the, sort of the money to, to, to go with the older lads. And I would always sort of maybe in competition with myself to be like the, the, the most ripped or, or something like this. And I literally had a choice. It was like I could go back to mechanics. I had a couple of maybe offers at the time, and... It wasn't for me. I, I don't, anyone over 30 in that we're well, respectively, has got dirty nails, messed up arthritis in the hands, lower back issues, these type of things. And for me, it didn't It didn't look profitable long-term, but also it didn't, It looked detrimental to the body long-term. So I just put all my eggs. People say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I put everything into fitness. And I was like, the only reason why I put myself as a taxi driver was to fund fitness. And yeah, so I get, got, into, got into that just, just through, it was pretty. It was pretty quick. Like I realized straight away, it's like okay, I want to do fitness, maybe like fat loss transformation. Uh, all the time, I'm always heading in a direction w- without a fixed point. It's like oh, this is the way I'm, I'm going towards, and I'm, I'm I'm open to see which way it might go. And yeah, I I, I put myself as that taxi driver. I funded myself. I sponsored myself. You could say it. I was paying people back at the time as well, and. Yeah, I can't. I done that first show. I come second out to th- th- thirty eight, and that for me was was an eye opener. But it also gave me like clarification that I ca- confirmation that I can move forward into this world, and there possibly is something something there for me. Um, so yeah, two thousand sixteen, we build off that. Um, move forward. I'd walked away from that other life, and I was starting to be known for something else. The stigma of that. Story was always attached to me whilst I was in, in Liverpool back but home. But this, this is a completely different lifestyle. I mean, that's a pretty obvious response yeah. there. People that go through that, those hard times and that hardship, especially coming from that, like, say, the underbelly, that world, um, was there ever a time where that world came knocking back on the door yeah. and you had to kind of, you know, close it? And did you ever have second thoughts of, should I open it? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, you make you make a lot of money going to a club and standing there and waving your hands in the air. It's 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 a it's an addictive lifestyle for a variety of different reasons: social aspect, the drugs, the party, the atmosphere, the constant dopamine and euphoric effects that you're getting is super addictive. Also, Liverpool culture, we love music. Plenty of musicians coming from there. It's in our culture to go drink on the weekends. You know, we're a working class city, um, so there was constant constant times to go back and from the get-go it's something i still do to this day it's like look i've got a part of my personality and it's part of who i am i've got one tattoo on my body a stupid tattoo it says i love house music okay i was 18 when i got it i was in ib for it i was stupid but what i know to do to do now and i still do this i've literally just come that past past this period is i do stuff in seasons so i'll do four three to five months of heavy hard work and then i'll have one or two weeks but i'll be a little bit loose maybe i'll party one or two weekends i'll scratch that itch as i like to say 
and then I'm focused. I can go back to training and I do this in line with bodybuilding and, and a few other things. It allows me to work in seasons, but it always also allows me to keep the erratic um, fast slash rational side of my brain even. If not, I'll get tendencies to, you know, my work's not as good quality because I've got that itch. I need to scratch that itch. If I have one night out, I'm like, oh, I could do this for the rest of my life. I go on two, I'm like, I'm done. I'll see you soon. I go back to Bangla Road or wherever in, in Bangkok and once I've scratched that itch, partied a little bit, I've done my thing, I can go back to refocus immediately again. And I realized that it, it I will continue to do that um, because that allows me to perform at my best when I need to be at my best. You, you see you see a lot of like athletes and, you know, people in, in that world of maybe it's soccer or, or whatever and they're constantly trying to t- tame, I don't want to say the demon inside of them, but constantly trying to tame something. And I don't know if you've heard, listened to The Chimp Paradox. The Chimp Paradox is a, is, a, is a great book. What it does is you've got like your inner chimp and your inner chimp is basically your irrational side of your brain. And I explain this in a way, it's like they tell you to feed it bananas and that'll keep everything in line. And, and that's what I like to do. It's like, I know that I'm going to give me a rational side of the brain, what, what it wants a couple of times a year. And that allows me then to focus really as a, an athlete or you know, as a coach or whatever I'm, I'm working. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think and even for, I think a lot of people in Phuket can relate to that, especially with the lifestyle here. Um, it's not like if I was back home in Canada, those options aren't there. Phuket, you can go rage on a Monday, random day of the week in Patong, a beach club. Like it's always there. But if you don't have um, something stable and, and a goal, whether it's fitness or for us, we're doing our products and the podcast and there's nothing to, let's say, hold you down like a rock. It's You could slip very quickly. You get led astray very easily. Yeah. Yeah. You got a lot of people and they're on holidays, but I call it honeymoon periods. You got a lot of people coming and they're leaving all the stresses at home. They're coming here happy. They're coming here and enjoying the things, doing the thing. And you can, as you said, if you've got no like a foundation of, of a routine, of a regimen, you can get swallowed into their holiday and then then leave and then their holiday and then you meet them and you're constantly in that world. Then. Yeah, that's, I mean, my first year here, I would say, year or two here, you you, you kind of become the tourist. Yeah. And then you meet so many people, but you never, it's hard to build a friends group because you're always jumping around to the people partying. And I just call them, you know, how it is. It's it's basically vacation ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then yeah. that kind of fades away. And, and I, I don't know, most people in Phuket can relate to that. Um, jumping, jumping ahead. Now you've gone through the fitness side. Let's all connect that up to coming to Phuket. And my understanding, you ended up at, is it Ko Yao Noi or Yai for six, six cents? No, yeah, Ko Yao Noi. So I ended up, there's a crazy story that links me to, to Ko Yao Noi and, and six cents hotels. Yeah. So I like Bridget a little bit better sort of between. So 2016, I put myself as a taxi driver, um, I managed to start competing in fitness. 2017 goes, 2018 goes, I'm progressing. At that point then, um, from October 2018, I was doing maybe one or two hours in, in a taxi, maybe not even that, just an airport run. And I was doing 30, 40 hours a week PT. So um, I was very fortunate to get um, a role at um, one of the biggest gyms in Liverpool after basically my coach had given me an opportunity. So I stepped up and stepped up. Um, done very well in that gym and, at that point, 2018, I become sixth in Great Britain in the classic bodybuilding, um, classic physique bodybuilding, um, and very shortly after, come over to Thailand. So as I as I try tie this in, there's a there's a part which 
without these two, without these two humans, I, I wouldn't be here. So I feel like I really need to mention them. So my uncle Harry and my cousin Lisa, they moved to Thailand in 2001, 2002. And we lost touch with them until 2018. So look, you put that background in. My uncle Harry come over to Liverpool and he had a meal. And it was like, we lost touch with you for like 17 years, 18 years. And he's like, I will never forget this meal. He says to me, um, I've been living in Thailand in a small island called Koh Noi. I have a Muay Thai gym, a restaurant, and a hotel. Do you want to come and visit me? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I got to do this show, but I'm going to come over and visit. So we do that. Um, we actually come as a family. It's all together, me, my mom, my sister. They come for a week. I come for two weeks. And on that trip, um, I got to meet the, the spa director for Six Senses Hotels. And I love that trip. I come over to Asia for the first time. I was... You know, it's in a new world. And for those who don't know Koh Noi, I just I need to talk on Koh Noi. So Koh Noi is, is the most beautiful place I have ever been in my entire life. And not just for views, but also for the people there, the the, the way of life there. It's so therapeutic. It's so chilled. Um, very sabai sabai. Like lot, you completely disconnect from the world when you go there. But for, for a place that's so close to Phuket, it couldn't be further away from Phuket. Um, and... The fact that I've got like my family there and, and obviously I'll sure get to in a second. I was very fortunate to work for Six Senses. Um, yeah, that place transformed my brain, my life, the way I see things, um, you know, everything because it's so quiet and because it's so still and there's no traffic lights on the island. Um, there's a few little things, you know, just maybe one or two police officers. You never see anyone. Um, there's maybe 5,000 people max. Um, there's one road that links the whole thing. And it's the, the the beauty, the natural beauty there is outstanding. Um, and, you know, I literally got, went from PT in the streets of Liverpool to coming back. And, and so I left left Thailand, went home. It's Christmas time. I got an email. Long story short, three, four weeks later, I'm on a one-way flight back. Six Senses Hotels has recruited me as their PT. So... I'm like pinch myself. I'm on a one-way flight to go and live on this tiny little island to where my family are, who I just meeting. And I got to say to these, so so my uncle, he was a cock and shinwa, I hope to get that right, um, British and European champion. So for those of you who don't do or don't know, that's open open height, open weight. My uncle's like 55 kilos and five foot six. He's a little crazy. So there's videos of him. He's a British and European champion. There's videos of him knocking people out. What, and what, what is it exactly? Cock and Shinwa Karate. So it's, okay. it's, it's yep. yeah, yeah, Cock and Shinwa Karate. Sometimes I get that name wrong, so I'm, I want to be, don't want to butcher that. And he come over here, he paved the way for my cousin. So she is, was like a Muay Thai champion. Um, and they've had that gym on, on Koh Yao Noi called KY and Phoenix Muay Thai for, oh, 20 years almost, 18 years. Um, so I come over and I'm staying with them and, what I found out is they were the odd bods as well. They didn't really fit in with the family. So they both had a colorful childhood and they'd both done certain things. And when I met them, I was like, where have you two been? Like they were right on my level. And to come out here and experience that, they were family that I didn't know I had, but couldn't have been closer. Um, so I fly over. I'm working with Six Senses Hotels. I'm staying between the both hotels, my family's hotel, and I'm going back and forth. And my world just opened up. Uh, I'd recently come out of like a five, five, six year relationship at that time. And I started to see things differently. As, as you know, Thailand doesn't bring 
one culture together. It's so many different cultures. And I was, look, I, right now I'm sort of between my accent. So if I really let my accent go, you can see that you can't really understand what I'm saying because I'm going to start to talk so quickly and I've got to really pull it back. So what I had to do when I was in Six Senses, um, no one understood a word I was saying at that point. Um, so they were like, look, we love you. We like what you're doing. You make generating revenue. Nobody knows what you're saying. <laughs> so it was a whole thing of having to adapt myself to this environment. And, you know, I, like pump with tie-dye. It's like I, I done my best to learn as much tie as I could at that point. And um, I was very, very fortunate to go into Six Senses. And I think that hotel's been there for 16 years. And across the brand uh, in February 2019, uh, I generated the highest revenue from fitness ever in Six Senses hotels. And that was my first month. And... Yeah, my Thailand story starts from there. So 90 days later, I was flown. Again, all pinch myself moments. I was flown. Six Senses rang me and they said, hey, Jay, your contract's coming up. It's Easter time. Um, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I was just going to go back home. I, at that point, I was like, I've done it. And they said, okay, well, we got the Prince of Morocco traveling to the Maldives. Would you like to go to the Maldives for a month to, to coach the Prince of Morocco? And of course, yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, so I do that. I, I'm put in a position where a lot of people from British television, I'm, I'm training them, and, you know, I'm really starting to be influenced by these people and, and understand them. And at that point, I'm still a bit of a fanboy. So I'm starting to see the human in these people and obviously develop a way of communicating. For, for those who, who don't know, Six Senses is the world's leading luxury, wellness, and sustainability hotel. Um you know, five star and, and, and the one percenters is some like to say. So Yeah, and that corner there, I think they used to do like the Red Bull high dive, cliff diving. I yeah. think they shut it down, but I'm pretty sure it was in that area, yeah. yeah right they, in that they, area. They they shut it between the two islands, the Koyao Noi, Koyao Na Koyao Yai. They stopped the they stopped all the climbing and stuff. The the the, the locals weren't too happy with it. So they stopped the climbing. Um but yeah stories of this it's not really my world, but I've definitely heard of it. Um some of the older local farangs, they're pretty annoyed that they can't climb. They got to climb. They got to pay someone to climb or whatever. Yeah, and I, I saw. I think it's the back of the hotel. I've been there on a motorbike, and you got to take a trail, but it's a bit of a hike, yeah. and yeah. it's not so easy to get to. Yeah. So now, this is what year are we at at Koyanoi? So you're getting you 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 go to the Maldives or the Prince of Morocco, yeah, and from there now you're coming back to Koyanoi yes, again. So sort of what happened then was they sent me then to coach in. Oman and Dubai. Um, I'd done that for 90 days. I went home to Liverpool for maybe a few weeks and then I come back here on a six-month contract. I was supposed to be here in November until April. Same, same with Six Sense. Yeah, with Six Sense. So I was coming back, same thing, contract November to April and then I was going to move. So November 2019 to April 2020. Now we all know what happens in that time period. I was supposed to come come back um, and then try and then uh, go to Six Sense's Ibiza, Ibiza. Um, done three, four months, the world stopped, COVID happened. Um, in that time, again, I was really starting to find my feet with six senses and understand what I needed to do to progress myself forward um, individually and as, as one of their team members as well, I'll say. So we moved forward, COVID happened. So I was basically on Koyao Noi from November until August. So it's a long period of time, it's like nine months, nine, 10 months. And, you know, everywhere become quiet. It was crazy quiet. So Koyao Ko Noi was, I, again, it become f f for me too quiet. So 
if you left the island, you couldn't return. There was no food left on the island. There was literally a boat coming with food every day. And we were like, okay, what's for food today? Like, if, if you come back in. I was looking at my family on a gym. It was all closed off, so I could still do bits of fitness. But it just, it was the best place to be for me until it was possibly the worst place to be. It's like there was there was nothing. And um, I was in a relationship at the time. Me and my girlfriend at the time moved over. And we come over to Phuket. We actually split up. Um... And that's when I really started to find my feet. So it was August 2020, I come over to Phuket. And honestly, I come over to Phuket. You obviously know my story up to that point. I had zero money. Zero. I had no money at all. I was dependent on government loans that were coming in, in from England at the time because I was still still paying my tax there. And oh, Wow. It, I went and lived in Katu. For those of you who don't know, Katu is one of the cheaper places to live in in Phuket's right in the center of the island. And I think I was paying like five and a half thousand baht rent, which is around 150 bucks. Um, and I couldn't afford a gym membership. One of the reasons why I come over, is I'm sort of going to go back to soccer now, football now, is I played in a football tournament just over. It was, there was nothing to do. I played with the locals and I'll brush over that quickly as I done well in the tournament. I went from being the small kid playing with the big boys who in Liverpool I was getting elbowed off the ball and to being the big boy with the smaller boys. So it was a crazy transaction. So I come over, um, but maybe getting back into f- football and a um, lot of uncertainty, didn't know anyone. I was paying like 60 to 80 baht for a football session with the ties a, a game and I was going to find like 20 baht cups of coffee and 40 baht gym memberships and like rustic sad seat gyms. And I was on the bones of my ass, as I could take to say. And, you know, I, I make, I'm, I'm starting to meet like a couple of, of the lads and I'm very, very fortunate. So I, I meet my friend called Nick. He, he's, uh, he owns PCA, PCA Thailand. And he was one of the first people I met. And then I, I go into Mika, like Ad, Sammy, these type of people. And um, they sort of changed my life and my perspective because they were just like me living in this different country. Um, and yeah, we begin to move forward. So I started training in Tiger Muay Thai. Um, ooh, 2021 or uh, January. January for about three, four months. Honestly, I, I'd made a bit of money online PT and I was building my online fitness coaching, doing like fat loss, muscle gain and nutrition for people. And I started training, but at this point, I've gained a bit of, bit of weight now. But at that point, I was like 73 kilos. I was really, really slim. And I was really slim because I couldn't afford to eat or train. It's like I just I couldn't afford it. it. It was what it was. So I'm now in a classes when I'm training with like a couple of fighters and stuff. And it was really at that point I'd followed UFC. We used to stay up and party and watch UFC all night and stuff like this. So there's a couple of faces who were new, and I was like, "Whoa, there's such and such." And you know, I, I'm still that Liverpool lad at, at heart, really. And yeah, crazy. So. What I, st- what I wanted to stand out in some sort of way. Again, I'm going to do stuff to extreme. And Coach Coves was, was was head of fitness at the time and um, head of S&C and done, doing a, a great job there. So I wanted to put myself under his radar. So some of the classes, I was my ego was trying to beat some of the fighters. Not in any way, just in like a run or in like a strength, strength feat to, to show that, you know, I'm on par with athletes in certain ways. Long story short, is the second I walked into Tiger Muay Thai, I was like, wow imagine working here like could you imagine working in this place you've got everything that you need 
You know, it's just, I remember walking in there and just being blown away by the facilities, by the people who've been through there, who'd stayed there, um, and also the attitude of people around camp. It's like, it creates this this mindset, which I, I can never really, I can never really put my finger on it, but it's just something that you can feel. Well, it's there. that collective mind as as well, and everyone's kind of on the same page and same like goal of what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking like, how can I stand out to get in? So that that's why I started to like, you know, really started to put so much effort into classes and stuff because I was going to ask for an internship or a guest guest coach role. So you fast forward four to six months, um, it's like. June, July, I actually say to Coach Cobes on a beach walk one day, I say to him, hey man, if you need any athletes, or if you need any interns or something, let me know. At the point, they had 90 people in the gym. Very recently, I've had 100 people in one class. So we had 90 people in the gym. We had a couple of classes running, but I was fortunate that Coach Cobes got a call to go and coach Petr Jan in Russia for the Corey Sandhagen fight. It was supposed to be Sterling, but he pulled out that one. Um which made like a space free in the gym. So then a year to the day I landed in Phuket, I'm now on the gym floor with Coach Tommy. And I'm like, here we go. Like, what, what's what? And, you know, I think someone else said this in the podcast. I can't recall who. But in 10 days, I'm walking down the beach and people are saying, hi, Coach, how are you? And I'm like, hey, man, you good? Like, wow. Like, it's, it's almost an immediate thing. As you know, this place is tiny, isn't it? It's a very, very tight-knit, small community. And the COVID people at the time, there wasn't many. There was not a lot, a lot of people here. So the the Farangs and and I sometimes say like the Thai Farangs, they would come into class and then heavily involved with, with 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 those Westerners. You know, they started to to speak to me and communicate in a slightly different way. And um, I then volunteered for Tiger. I volunteered then for Tiger, um, for oh, I volunteered then for Tiger for seven months. So I recorded over 350 hours, 350 hours of work, peak time work. I was always, you know, trying to learn from the likes of, you know, Peter, Tommy, Cobes, Holly, these people at the time. They'd been in that position for four to six years, some of them, and, you know, I really valued the information that they were given and also the quality um, of of work that they were putting out, even through high season. Um, I really admired every one of them in their own individual way, so... I was just like a sponge, man. Like one of the main things I've I've learned over time and reinventing myself is just knowledge is not without application. You know, you learn, you apply, you apply, you apply, you apply. And off of being able to apply frequently and, you know, people were sick. So then, Jay, can you cover? Yeah, I can cover. Can you do this? Yeah, I can do this. It's like I got a skill of um, acquired over time of nutrition with the bodybuilding and you know, I, I've started to see where I could have maybe fit into that business. So eight months went by like like that. Um, I had an amazing time there, but just visa complications, I had to, I had to change and go do my own thing. So um, I went from the guest coach to the intern. And then I left and was just going back to doing my online business. We're starting to, you know. Doing it all from Thailand. Yeah, doing it all from Thailand, working from Thailand, like working online remotely and, you know, this island, I know we mentioned before we talk, it's it's so beautiful in, in so many different ways, but it's so appealing to others for, 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 for that reason. And, you know, working online from here is a, a lot easier to do maybe from from my mum's spare bedroom in Liverpool. It's it's a little bit easier to do, so to say. And um, I was aware of that. I was aware that my profile had been raised locally, just, just with naturally working in Target. And, you know, 
some of my friends now here, like the likes of, I don't know, you know, Ada and Shaw, these type of people, um, known locally, very well known on the island, very respected on the island. And, you know, I think just being around them gave me confidence. Like I, I could see that they'd been successful here for some time and in so many different ways. They've got so many different people here who have, in my, my opinion, a lot of people here have already made it or they're on the way to making it, whatever that, that means for, for them. And um, yeah, um, where was we then? I've traveled just before I traveled home. So it'd been three and a half years since I went home. That was in July. I was called in by the bosses at Tiger and basically said to me, like, do you want a full-time job? I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm going away now for a month. I've had this booked. So I went away for a month, seeing everyone in Liverpool, uh, went to Dubai, came back and started as a full-time coach in Tiger. And now this is August of last year. So you could write a book in the last six months of my life. It's been bizarre. So um, I landed in August last year. I took a whole month off of training um, just to let my everything reset and basically it was ready to go again. Um, I landed back. Um, I was in a car crash, a bike crash. Someone was on the other, other side of the road, um, smashed straight into me. So I had to recover from the bike crash. <laughs> Shortly after I was in a bit of a car crash, someone T-boned me from the side. He was on his phone. Um, and then I got dengue fever. So I'd have to explain dengue for some people that don't. Dengue fever is contracted by mosquitoes. It is the worst illness I've ever had. Have you had dengue? I don't know. Maybe. You, sometimes you never know what you're having. I'm too afraid to go to the hospital. Well, that's that. That's <laughs> I, I'm in the same boat. Well, well, I think at that time, the whole current situation, you just didn't want to deal with, like, is that what it was? Well, but you never know, so, yeah. Well, exactly that. It's like the man inside of me is like, I don't need to go to the hospital. I'm okay. I'm okay. And the reality was I'd lost seven kilos in, like, six days, and I was in a bad way i was very very sick and i actually went to, to to the clinic next door to tiger and about six days in and my platelets i think it's the t platelets my, were low and she was like what are you doing and i was like, i'm going into work she's like no 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 no. you go and sit in that room and you do this and she she was explaining to me like my platelets are like 60 and if they go below 50 i'm, I'm do they have medicine for that here? It's not like, uh, what is it? Malaria, completely different. Yeah. But dang, is it similar dengue to malaria? She, she gave me something I can't recall, and she put me on a drip. Um, and then she was just, at that point, I was on the rise coming back out of it. So she's like, you need to eat, you need to do this. But I still had the rash, and yeah, I wasn't fit to work, but I wanted to get back into work. I like what I'd done. And yeah, at that point, I was off the Tiger timetable until September 1st. So um, yeah, that's when it really starts to change in, in Tiger Muay Thai. So um, October, September, October, I was fitness coach doing a uh, 12.30 class and, you know, numbers were rise at the time and I'm very, very, very grateful, very fortunate that my class just just peaked, man. I was getting like 50 people, 45, 50 people a day in, in heavy low season. I'm pretty sure you can remember the rain. The rain didn't stop. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know, there was three, three months last year where it yeah, the the mountains were collapsing. Yeah, it was. They said it's a lot right. of people that have been here thirty years, twenty five years said it was the worst rain they've ever seen in that that twenty to thirty year time frame. Yeah, exactly that. And and you know my house flooded, so my house flooded really badly. I had to move out for a couple of weeks. Uh, Ever a man, so all of the the fluid tanks and the toilets and all that it rose. So my house literally, I crapped from the floor yeah. around it. Um, so that was a point. I'm. Um, what I did, what I haven't mentioned is that I am on a bodybuilding prep. I started that um, in the 1st of September as well. So, you know, really dialed in, training, you know, at the right time on a regiment, like you wouldn't believe, five, five, 
5, 5 a.m. starts, 9 a.m. Fi- fi- 9 p.m. finish, pass out, wake up, go again. And to do well in bodybuilding, um, you've got to be selfish. You've got to be greedy. Um, you've got to be dialed in 24-7 of the day. And it's 12, 16 weeks long. It's a long time period. It's, it's a long season, as I like to say. And yeah, um, man, I, I put everything into that prep. I, there's a video on my Instagram and people will see this and people will know this and they'll laugh because of it. But look, my house was flooded. I'm like, I'm taking all of the drugs for bodybuilding, okay? I'm heavily stressed. It's about two weeks to my 90-day probation period in Tiger. No, it's not even that. It's about five, ten, five days, if that. I got a lot happening. Um, and <laughs> my house flooded and I didn't know what to do, so... I sat down and I picked up my guitar and I just started singing on the guitar. I was like, I don't know what to do. And at the time, it, 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 it was funny when everyone see me. It was like very, very stressed. And then in a moment of chaos, just start playing the guitar. And at that point, it, I was going through a lot of change in my life as well. Privately, there was stuff happening. And I was planning a presentation to put to the bosses of Tiger. Um, so whilst my house was still flooded and I was living between two houses and stuff, I actually was, was pr- pr- put a presentation forward and, and was promoted in Tiger to head of fitness in on the 1st of November, just just gone. Two weeks later, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm immersed in this environment now. I've got, I must be like 8% body fat. Stress levels, cortisol is through the roof. Um, at the time, trying to dial it in as much as I can to do as, as good as I can inside of bodybuilding. So at that point, I'd competed in bodybuilding 12 times. And I'd lost every single time. But, you know, it's, it's some quote, it's not, it's not how you fall till you stand up. And every single time, just brushed it off, got back up, went forward again. Brushed it off, just kept getting what I felt was like a baseball bat to the face. And then you stand up, you go again. You stand up, you go again. And that mentality over time, you know, I'd been doing that for five, six years at this point. Um, when I first landed in Phuket, I was 74 kilos. I'm going on holiday, I was 94. And I'd come back down, I was shredded um i was given the head coach role which like i really want to highlight that you know the head coach head of fitness in tiger muay thai is something that i couldn't have even dream of you think about where i've come from to get here so in a second i'll speak about someone who, who's been spoken about on the podcast and honestly i understand copes i understand woody i understand the people who have tried to get into this position i understand who they are what they've accomplished and what they went on to accomplish in the last, you know, four to six years. I, I respect it so much. And I've been given this opportunity at 28. I, I'm in my, my personal, I, I'm a baby in this world and I, I'm aware that I'm very, very young and getting that position made me realize, you know, I've done certain things to get here, but also I had a quote once, you've got to work so hard to get it, but you've got to work 10 times harder to keep it. And like immediately from there, I was like, I'm dialed in with the bodybuilding and stuff, but I've got to be on it for everybody. I get. I, I, I want to be as good of a people person as I can in, in Tiger. So, you know, no matter what I'm going through, you know, the people need me. Whether they need me for the fight camp, whether they need me for fat loss, whether they need me for motivation, you know, just general things. The classes were getting bigger, 50, 50, 60 people. And I was like, okay, even if I've got my bodybuilding show, I can't show. I've got to make sure that I'm there, I'm on time, I'm professional, I'm reliable. Um... And that's what happened. So a couple of weeks later, I flew to Bangkok. I come second in Bangkok in, in classic bodybuilding. 
it was unfortunate not to win it. And that was like the 13th time I've competed. And then two weeks after that, I have the, the PCA Thailand National Championships. And there's the Phuket Championships followed by the National Championships. And this was it. This was stuff I'd worked towards now for six, seven years. And I'd, I'd never won. And, you know, every time going in, I was like, this is the time. Like, this is it. Like, always, this is the time. This is the time. And, you know, it hurts when you lose, but you develop a thicker layer of skin. If I would have won earlier, I wouldn't have been that hungry to carry on driving forward, moving forward. And just with, like, relentless dedication and consistency, it's like, I'm not doing anything different. It's just compounding, isn't it? It's just over time. It's just working. And, you know, man, like, I'm, I say this with a, such a big smile on my face because it means the world to me. Like, I won the men's physique medium class in the Thailand National Championships um, in on the 4th of December, just gone, so three months ago. Um, 14 attempts, and I won on the 14th attempts. It was at, it was actually a couple more because I completed a couple of times in the day, but it's like one of my Instagram posts, and I read it recently, it was like fall down 13, stand up 14, and it's like, man, like, I get goosebumps and everything, and it's like, I, I can't, I can't express how hard I worked in order to keep everything rolling in, in, in Tiger and not let that affect me, but also, you know, keep it together, win this show, do the prep, do the posing, do the diet for so, so long. And, you know, all them failures, all that time I'd just been... Like, there was times in England where I'd drive home crying. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say not my girlfriend at the time, but I'd be crying driving home or I'd be so close to losing to winning and there's a point or it's just... Bodybuilding is an opinionated sport, of course, and um, I knew that if I carried on working forward that I'd be able to, to you know, accomplish something, but just happened to be in, in a space of like three weeks' time, three, four weeks' is, time. Is there maybe a connection to that number 14? Do you see this repeat throughout your life? No, but now you say that, I'm going to look into it. No, no. Oh, well, I, what happened in 2014? Um, 2015, yeah, 2014, yeah. But there's a couple of things now, now you mention it, and even in other ways, which I haven't said in here, which that 14 does come up. Yeah, yeah, I see go. that straight away. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we'll, have to, we'll have to dig deep into that. He'll, <laughs> he'll go, he's going to be looking at numbers when he gets home. <laughs> now you say that, yeah, wow. Um, so, so look, I accomplished two of the biggest things in my entire life, and obviously saying that my background, I now am the head of fitness for Tiger Muay Thai, the world's biggest fight camp, and I am the Thailand men's physique bodybuilding champion. That's just bizarre like like now when they're competing it's not just foreigners it's both thai and foreigners both, both thai and foreigners oh. yeah yeah it's it's mixed so pca has been um it's been massive in, in england and then branched out around the world it's the highest uh, grossing bodybuilding uh highest growing bodybuilding federation in, in bodybuilding very lucky now um, i'm going to be chasing in the next year or two years how long or long it takes i haven't trained for four months which i'll explain why in a second to try and chase my pro, pro card so as i said i'm giving this thing where I'm head of fitness, Tiger Muay Thai. I'm now this like bodybuilding champion. It's like, this is what I've worked towards since I got out of jail, basically. It's exactly what I've worked towards. And as I said earlier, I was not working towards, uh, all right, the bodybuilding goal to one thing, but Tiger Muay Thai, and I was heading in that right direction. So, yeah. Um, yeah you're padding that resume, that portfolio. I mean, these are just milestones on the portfolio. So as you, you move on in your career, it's... Yeah. Um, you know, these social credits, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly that. And, and you know, as I explained before, Paquette's a small place, and, and a lot of people had known me and seen what my my almost rise here. And we said this before the podcast, and, and this is something I want to touch on. 
you know, we've got new gyms opening up, amazing new gyms opening up, and we've got um, good competition, I'll say, and a lot of the boys in that gym, I just see that, and the next generation behind them, and they're, they're my friends, some of them are my close friends as well, and I speak to, to them quite regularly, it's like, do I look at the, the path of, you could say, like, the likes of John Boy, the likes of Peter, the likes of Cobbs, Woody, uh, the Hickman brothers, is that, you know, um, they all left, say, moved on, a, a lot of them left and moved on, and I seen that they moved on and went somewhere else. I could have been part of the furniture growing, coming through. And what happened then from December up until now is just incredible. So, you know, I, I'd been working into this S&C world and slowly working into this S&C world in the background for, it was almost two years at that point, just slowly learning and applying, learning and applying. And, um, I was covering classes. I spent a significant time covering certain classes and taking on S&C clients and then, all of a sudden, I finished that show 4th December. I didn't take a break. I had one day off, and I'm back into the classes. Classes, as we know, high season really started to grow then, didn't it? By mid-December, we've got 60 people Tuesdays and Thursdays in class. And, you know, I, I, we went over Tiger's structure, and we edited certain things, and we put certain things in place for high season. So from mid-December up until after Songkram. And what then happened and what has happened the last few months of my life is is incredible um i mean the athletes i've worked with the the volume of athletes i've worked with has just been honestly like mind-blowing is that um you know at, at christmas come over christmas we have like 60 70 people again and then january hit as you know this island january into mid-february was it was just one, one sec i want to interrupt quick I have a feeling the power is going to go out. I just got this weird sixth sense. What if the power goes out? Do we fuck up everything? Okay. If it goes out, that's a fucking teaser. No, because they're doing some stuff outside. And I remember this morning, I just wanted to double check with them because we've had the power go out and then like it can corrupt the files. Um, I don't know if you saw when you drove in, you saw that yeah, yeah, pole yeah, 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 yeah. before you came on. I was going to be like, Let's be careful if it cuts out. So we're okay if it cuts out, right? We don't fuck up the file. Not recording on this anymore. Okay, good. Okay, back into it. If it goes out, like, I don't know. I'm going to the casino after. <laughs> all good, all good. So, uh, yeah, you're you're talking more that that support group and kind of like yes. you're becoming that next generation. What, do, you, do you guys have like a, like a support group of maybe all the guys where you can communicate and what they did and what they would do differently. And you kind of, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're getting that information from them as well to, to maybe do it the right way or a different way. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and it's a great question for a number of reasons is that in, in looking at it, no, there's not actually a support group there, but when I got put into this position, I inherited Tiger um, Fitness at where it's at now. Um, and respectively, other people had built that up, and there was a culture that they put in place. And Coach Tommy was there now. In my opinion, he was the most important coach because he'd seen this over five, six years, and I immediately wanted to go back to what was put in place all those years ago and why it becomes so good. So, you know, I wanted to build off the foundation they'd laid, but obviously put different things and, and, and different, um, uh, different uh, classes. And, you know, working all that time with Six Senses, Emotional hospitality was a big thing that I wanted to implement and I will implement into this high season, into this low season for next high season. Yeah, the, the support group is necessary when I'm with them individuals. So if I do see them, you know, I, I know my age and I'm, I'm going to ask people questions and I'm going to reply. And when they 
if someone tells me something and I apply it, it's like, it's because I've learned something in, in, in a good way. And, you know, there's, there's been a change around with gyms and stuff like that. So that support group maybe would have been there if it was um, a little smoother transaction, I'll say. Um, but that's not to be. And, and, and from like a lad's lad's perspective, we're all good, we're all good mates, you know. Um, and I, I know even recently, if, if I reach out to any, any of the guys who are either in my team or not in my team, but I've worked with before, they help me out, man. Um, this, this Tiger Muay Thai, let's say the career path of someone, is, whether in, they're in SNC at Bangtown Muay Thai or they're these head head coaches of that that part of the gym, is there like a laid out roadmap career path where you know what are the objectives, what are the goals, what I'm trying to get get from this, and to kind of extend on that question, um, it seems like some of the goals that you're adding to your profile and portfolio is the rare opportunity and ability to connect with the UFC fighters and add them to your portfolio portfolio that you probably would not get from back a back home gym. Uh, does this consciously become a goal of yours as they're coming into the gym and, and watching them, even guys like Petra Yang with Sean Kober. Um, I mean, I saw Petra Yang come 2016, 17. He's a nobody at this point, but you're seeing these, I don't want to say nobodies, but these people that aren't on the map yet, and you can see who they are and I want to be a part of that guy's career path. And you're not only are they growing, you're growing with them. Like, absolutely. Like, so the independent coach journey is different. So you look now, we got a load of different um, genres of fitness, I'll say. So you've got your F45 type stuff. You've got your strength conditioning, your bodybuilding, your CrossFit and, you know, core type classes and ambush type classes we have in Tiger. So the, the journey is all... Um, individually based so some of them can go you know the likes of holly holly's route is she's took completely different s and c and also she's picked up like a fat fat loss type world type thing so um for me absolutely so from the second i walked in there i seen them fellas and i was like i want to work with them how do i do that and i'd learned how to do that and and yeah it's sort of as as i'm going to go now and the world that i will go into and I'm, i'm just stepped into right now is that world of ufc fighters and you know, so January, January and February of this year, um, extremely grateful to have Tuesday and Thursday for about six weeks. I had over one hundred people in every single class, and the fighters they're they're part of those SNC classes. I mean, yes, they have their BJJ, their MMA classes, but then they kind of join the community of the SNC. Yeah, so like, I try not to do like names as such, but you know. I, I'll mention a few names. So the likes of uh, like Darren Till, Mohamed Mikhaev, Petr Jan, um, Brendan Lockney, Kane Musa. They're like the people off the top of my head. And even your fighter that fought last week. Yeah, so you got, exactly. So you've got uh, Roman Delite. Um, he fought Marvin Vittori last week in UFC London. Questionable loss. <laughs> Very questionable. Very Roman, questionable. Roman won one, two. Yeah, that was... Uh, I, I watch, after I talked to you on the phone, I, I watched that right after. Yeah. And I tried to watch, um, you know, with, with no, with, with no, uh, not being blind, no blinkers yeah. on. Um, and wow, he came out trying to murder him. <laughs> well, Roman's got crazy power. Roman's like life and brain is, is very unique to Roman. And, you know, we spent the last six to, six to eight weeks working together before that camp and working on a lot of speed based stuff. Roman, um, yeah, Roman's got a lot of power. We just want to move him a bit quicker. That was the main thing with him is holding his strength. Uh, but making them quicker, making them quicker. And Roman is an aggressive, super aggressive elite grappler. Like some of the guys, they tap before they hit the floor because they know that the guy is, is incredible. And 
we never really got to see that um, from him in that in that fight, and that was stuff that they were working on. And honestly, you, you look at the last three minutes; it's, I think I genuinely think it's even to that point. I can't understand what Vittori does to win that fourth round, third round. I, I can't I can't see the logic in that. But you look at lot Roman the last couple of months of working with Roman. I actually got Roman off. I was working with a guy called Ihor Poteria. So he fought Shogun Rua in Brazil. He beat him in, in January. And as you can see, I'm, I'm just starting to reel off names from UFC and countless, countless, countless one championship uh, fighters, Muay Thai, Bellator, um, you know, Cage Warriors organization from England. I mean, on that London card last week, I think in class I'd had seven or eight athletes in the last two months, which is incredible I think there was 15 fighters I think there was 14 16 fighters I'm not too sure but every other fight there was someone who'd been in my class recent, recently Christine Lee Duncan Lerone these type of people um and you know what like they're coming up to me and and for a while then was was helping them in different aspects of uh you know the nutrition background was a big thing fighter fighters some fighters needed help with and after two years of being in this world I'm really put into that step you know I was interviewed for UFC and um, the feel around that, people's association with me are beginning to change and getting respect in different areas. And I like to use Petty Yan for an example. When I first come in, obviously um, he's doing this S&C with, with Cobes and he'd been in that gym for a couple of years before. Um, he'd been in that gym for, I think, maybe longer, 2016, 2017, yeah. And, you know, he didn't look at me at the start. None of them, people who'd been there from the start, it, it was looking at me. But then, you know, you, you, you if you're dedicated to your work and, People see that, you know, respect is earned, it's not given. These aren't guys aren't going to give me respect. And one of the classes, if you look at my, my thing online, over a couple of periods, I had like the um, WBO pound for pound number one, the, the um, uh, world champion Sam, uh, Sambo world champion, world champion wrestlers, world champion this, Petter Jan and, and, and all, his co co uh, all, all his cronies came and, there was classes where we had 100 people and there was four or five from UFC in there. Um, and it just, that really opened up my profile, my name, my brand over the last couple of weeks. And yeah, it got, in my opinion, we've got back to the roots of what it was. And we've got the, the top, top, top end athletes training with people who are just coming in at entry level. And my goal from the start of coming in was how can I unite this world and how can I do that again? How can we bring this together? And that's on me to design structures that are challenging enough for the athletes, but almost, um, I'll use the word joinable or accessible for the people who aren't as such. And, you know, after classes, the atmosphere, in class, the atmosphere, it's, it, I couldn't put my finger on it, man. It was so, so unique, so um, life-changing for me. Like, I'm looking around the room and I, I used the word Dan and, Dan and Till. So Dan and Till and I've got a bit of a weird story. We went to school together. We grew up in the same neighborhood. I watched Dan go to Portugal. I watched Dan go through all the stuff in his life. We were never friends. We had a few mutual friends, but he went to Portugal. He learned the local language. He's a left-handed scouser, and scouser is means a person from Liverpool, for people who don't know. Yeah, he's a left-handed scouser. And he went out there, and he, he, he made his way to the top of his food chain by relying on not his physical attributes, and learning that local language, as I mentioned, all these. And I watched Darren's entire life at arm's distance. Again, we were never close friends or anything like that, but we had many mutual mutual friends. And I watched him when he had a couple of hundred followers on on on, on Instagram, and I watched that, that guy rise to the top. And 
I remember a couple of weeks ago, he's in, he comes in the I'm like, what are you doing? Like At that point, we'd seen each other a few times. So I'm like, Scouse, I'm like, what's happening, lad? How are we? And he's like, I'm good, I'm good. I'm on, what are you up to, lad? And he's like, I'm coming to your class. And I was like, yeah, you're coming in. So he comes in, all the others come in, and I've got this weird moment where like I'd watched Dan's story, but just kept it to myself because I took inspiration of what he'd been able to do as a guy who's relying but not on his physical attributes and you know, social networking and stuff to, to rise in a different continent. I, I couldn't find anyone who, who'd done it. So I was out on Koya Onoi going, who's done this? And again, it wasn't as literal as that, but I'd watched that story and took information. And then he's in my class and they got them all in my class. And not only the in class, they're returning to class, they're enjoying it. They're getting the benefits from it. But then you look at all the other people in class and they're like, that's David. And that's Petty and and that's, that's Brendan and that these type of guys. And, you know, I look at the likes of them and we come from the same cloth. You know, we, we are the boys and, you know, they found a, a way to knock people out and make themselves go to the top and, and whatever they're doing. And, you know, I, I believe I've had to use like my social skills and, and, and awareness and, and, you know, assertiveness and, 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 a, and ability to strive forward and be better to, to find myself in this position. So I take a lot of inspiration from them guys and you look at them coming into class and, you know, I'm working with, now I'm working with three af free athletes who are active in the UFC and I've been doing this for quite some time now but this is really just the start for me and I, I can feel where I'm going to do moving forward and you know the gym tag and my tie at the moment is thriving like mm -hmm. high season's just on its way down but I think know. it's still going to be kind of uh, I think well, I think it's going to stay quite consistent and even right back into the high season uh, it's interesting how you word that uh, I mean a lot of these athletes you're training um I wouldn't put it into the perspective as like you're a fitness co coach and you're a tool from them. I think it's a negative way to look at it, but you do mention, uh, upon yes, you're giving to them and you're teaching and training them, but you're also getting something out of it. And that is the inspiration, the motivation to see these guys that have risen instead of just draining all your energy. There's, there is that two way street. Yeah, exactly that. And it's like, you know, I, I never want to, um, like I fully understand my position and I understand that as a fitness coach, we're there to supplement a diet, uh, 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 athlete's lifestyle. You know, we're there to, I'm fortunate that I can help with nutrition as well in, in, in various different ways, but it's, it it's, you're there to help them and you're there to just help them step in that one direction and not over, over, over strategize things and over complicate things. It's, it's not what you're there to do. So I understand that, but I also stand that, you know, these are, the lads, these want to have a bit of fun, you know, and they won't want to take lives too seriously. So that's also refreshing to hear from me. It's like, you know, they're out there, some of these guys are killers, you know, that some of them are, are, are putting the life on the line, literally at some in, in some, some points. And how people can't take inspiration from that, I don't know. But in, in my perspective, I feel that watching all these grow and being around them, Again, you rise. So I'll use um, I'll use Roman Delite and Iho Poteria. So both of them are working with them now. Iho's twenty six. He's on the rise in UFC. He's got a good few matchups. Roman, you know, just won his last three fights uh, by bonus prior to this one. And you know, this was a strange fight. It was a weird fight. I, I think that's what's good about UFC and Dana White. Uh, after a fight like that, your stock goes up. It does not go down. Especially yeah. what you did to Vittoria. I mean, he's, he's fought for a belt, so yeah, it's exactly. nothing to even worry about. Yeah, exactly that. It's like, you know, the athlete in him wants to win because it's that number, and he could have literally called for the title shot then because there's no one else. He's fresh blood, as he said, as in his own words. But um, that being said, you know, 
I think Roman, if he sees that fight back again, he would approach that differently. Roman's super intellectual. Um, and I think that might be a bit of like frustration on his behalf. But, you know, he was the best he ever felt leaving camp. And I, I, I'm around him doing his UFC, um, the full camp, the cameras are on him. And you can see there's a glow off him. There's, there's, they've got to have a swagger about them, haven't they? You got to have the X factor. You got to have that. Exactly. You need the confidence. You can't go into a, a, a high level UFC fight not thinking you're going to win. Exactly. And you yeah. got, you know what? He fought Vittori. Vittori's only lost to the best of the best. And you know, in another world, they, they're a different judge. He probably loses. Well, uh, when I was watching that fight, I mean, I think he probably was quite surprised because he hit a hit him a couple times where he should have dropped. You saw him go back. Yeah. I, as an outside fan, I think he should have th thrown a couple to the body because yeah. they were so big at the head. But I think a couple where if he adjusted to the body, I think that really would have fucking took the gas out of a Tory's tank. Yeah, they, I, I, for sure. Like you look at that from that perspective, he should have, he, he could have, um, you know, went to the body, could have just went for the shot for a couple of takedowns, exhaust and went up, went up top again. But um, I think there's just one aspect of Roman's game, and it's just experience. So Roman started fighting when he was 28. He's 34. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He, he was um, a footballer until 22, and then was a pro, was world champion grappler by 28, and then started throwing hands at 28. So, like, it's a late time to start getting fighting in UFC, and I think if he's a little bit more experienced there, you know, he throws a few up, he goes down, he goes back up again, and he changes the levels a little bit more. But, yeah. you know, like... That's what I mean. If Roman's seen that fight back once, I think he changes it, and I think he goes back and yeah, he was put, just he was just headhunting because v Vittori's work didn't really slow Roman. Maybe a couple more rounds of the leg kicks because it was starting to get a bit raw that left leg. But I, I think Roman was shocked that he didn't go down, and then you know at that point it's a case of maybe a changing game plan that we could go for. Okay, we're we're gonna end it on this note because we uh, and. I think this won't be the last of Jay because we'll, we'll definitely bring you back. It's just uh, with the YouTube algorithm, they want us under an hour and 19 minutes. It's so strange. The second yeah. you... So the way YouTube works, it's like there's a certain amount of people that watch certain time frames. And when you pass it, it like fucks you up in the algorithm. Yeah. Um, but I, I would love to bring you back and especially if people let us know in the comments like questions that we, we didn't touch upon. And it's always good to bring the guests back for a second time because the intention of the first podcast is really to tell that life story and the second one is we get to kind of go all over the place and have a bit more uh, uh fun and, and, and jump around and do these q a's i think this is probably one of our best podcasts so far hans am i right i really i think this is an awesome story um so before we kind of like cut it out there and, and then i'm gonna pass it to your camera to let everyone know uh where to find you and this will kind of lead into the next podcast. Just kind of let us know what's next on the table for you. What are you looking to accomplish between, let's say, between the now time now and if we brought you back in like three to six months? So when we have that conversation, we have something to look back at. Yeah, so right now, um, working with a couple of guys in UFC, they got fights oof, early, late April, early May. Um, and yeah, the idea is now to consistently progress forward in terms of yeah, the world of s and I'm going to put an online structures in place for, for my for my for my business online um and yeah really help uh help people move forward in the gym as well so we'll be putting i'll be going back over and evaluating all the stuff from high season just gone and the numbers go lower but you know it's still consistent so um the idea now is to better myself as a coach to better myself as a human to keep growing and and honestly in the next uh three to six months keep building on that ufc resume keep stepping up in that world and i say ufc has one championship bellator i've worked with so many of these other guys as well 
as we know, UFC is top of the food chain, so it's 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 easy for me to talk about that. But um, on top of that as well, so I haven't trained for four months since the show because I wanted to focus on other people and I'd accomplished what I felt I needed to accomplish. And then I rushed into this high season. So allowing now, 23rd of March, Thursday, I'm going to start training on Monday. I'm actually going to watch PCA uh, Bangkok, give me a bit of motivation. Um, and the idea is in the next 18 months, year to 18 months with that, is to chase my pro card with, with, with the PCA Federation. Um, but yeah, inside of that, working with a lot of pro athletes, continue to, to grow as a coach, continue to learn, put myself in these environments. But yeah, get back on it. I feel I feel the worst I've felt in, in a few months. Like if you put, um, it'd be like Instagram versus reality. So if you put the photo of me in that show three months ago, and then now it's not the same body. It's not the well, same thing. Well, I think anybody... Uh, <laughs> No one's walking around like that, so that's just no. the reality as well. And also, I think on the next podcast, we're gonna I'm gonna take a note and I'm gonna put that on my board. We're gonna have you dig deep into that number fourteen, and maybe that'll be the question. You're you're gonna maybe come back with like fifty different fucking yeah, things. Um, all right. So just before we end, I'm gonna shoot it over to this camera. If you could just let everyone know also where they can find you, especially for the PT stuff and your online courses. We're gonna put all links in the description. So if you uh, plug it away, shill it away, just let them all right into that camera where everyone can find you. And we'll again, we'll put that all into our description. So yeah, you'll find me on Instagram mainly at Coach J Pato, Coach, C-O-A-C-H. I'm dyslexic, I've really got to think about that. <laughs> J-A-Y-P-A-T-T-O. Uh, you'll find me on Instagram at Coach J Pato. You'll also find me on Facebook at just J Pato. Um, and obviously um, I'm all, all over Tiger's website. I'm on Tiger's um, Instagram quite a lot as well. So yeah, you'll find me there. And the best way if people want to reach out to you for this stuff would be Instagram? Yeah, or? the best way to, especially if it's fitness related, if it's S&C, fat loss, want some advice. Um, obviously, with that story, I tend to get a, a lot of people asking me for certain things. So feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I'm responsive inside every, like once every 24 hours or so. Okay, um, great. That ends another episode of Fruiting Body Podcast. Don't forget, check out our mushrooms. Well, I guess if this is the audio. I'm holding a bottle of uh, lion's mane. Don't worry, they're not psychedelic. This is all natural, all organic, made in Thailand. Uh, we'll leave links in the description for that as well. We have the website, but the purchasing is through Lazada because I'm not paying fucking Shopify. So fuck you, Shopify. We're out. Fruity.